Welcome to Forward, a podcast where we introduce you to the humanities at Brock University. I'm your host, Alison Innes. Now, regular listeners will know that our episodes usually feature interviews with researchers, but this series we have a special treat for you. Our fourth-year history students in History 4P11, State and Society in Colonial Canada, a course taught by Professor Danny Sampson, have spent the last semester researching and creating a website and podcast exploring the history of the Acadian village of Beaubassin. Now within the borders of Nova Scotia, in the mid-18th century, Beaubassin was on the edge of the British and French empires in North America and saw conflict and power struggles between the French, English, Acadian, and Indigenous people. The podcast centers on Atlantic colonial Canada in the 18th century by looking at the events through the eyes of a real-life historical spy, Thomas Pichon, and the podcast accompanies an interactive website titled Beaubassin on the Edge of Empires, so look for that link in your show notes. So sit back and enjoy as we turn the next three episodes over to a series called Chronicles of a Spy in Acadia a student-produced podcast researched, written, recorded, and edited by the students of Brock University's History 4P11 course. It's June 1755. 2,000 British troops march on the French fort of Beausejour across the river from the small village of Beaubassin in present-day Nova Scotia. Inside the fort was the man who made the coming British victory inevitable. Thomas Pichon, the 55-year-old commissary of the fort, had a secret second job, one that would change the future of Atlantic Canada. Pichon was a spy, and his work would be an integral part of the British Empire's conquering of Acadia and of Canada. Welcome to Chronicles of a Spy in Acadia, the podcast where we examine the history of Acadia through the eyes of a treacherous 18th century spy. We're your co-hosts, Michaela and Yannick. The period of history where this story takes place is colonial Nova Scotia in the 18th century. Essentially, at this time, the northeast of North America was settled by a mix of French and English settlers, the English Protestants being in New England and the French Catholics establishing themselves in a colony known as Acadia in the early 17th century. The problem in the 18th century was that both European powers wanted to claim what was now Nova Scotia, especially for settlement purposes. Recent events have made this particular discussion even more fascinating. Wasn't there something in the news in November of 2021 about cannonballs being found at the French fortress in Louisbourg? That's right. The roughly still 100 live cannonballs found at Louisbourg were transported and detonated in New Brunswick. Given that, it only makes sense that this story should be brought to the forefront. Indeed. Today, we're sitting down with the man himself, Thomas Pichon from beyond the grave. Mr. Pichon died November of 1781, but he's here today to discuss the events of 1753 to 1755 when the territory of Acadia faced a pivotal clash of empires. But a word to the wise before we bring him out. Mr. Pichon was prone to many inaccuracies and exaggerations in his personal memoirs from his life and experiences in Nova Scotia. We might need to take some of his claims with a grain of salt. Indeed. We'll need to be cautious in our interview and check some of his claims for accuracy. But, without further ado, let us bring in our guest. Please welcome Monsieur Thomas Pichon. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Pichon. It's my most sincere pleasure, dear friend. Before we dive into Pichon's riveting story, let's set the scene. 
Monsieur Pinchon, can you tell us if we understand the basics of what was known as Acadia? Acadia is present-day Nova Scotia, but in the 18th century it was known as Acadia, or Acadie in French. Acadia was the home to the local indigenous people known as the Mi'kmaq, as well as the Acadians, a distinct group of people who saw themselves as neither French nor British. The Acadian territory changed hands between the French and British so many times that although their culture was influenced by both European ideology and Mi'kmaq customs, they formed their own unique social norms and way of life. Acadia was founded most notably by Samuel de Champlain in 1604 and thrived as a British North American colony until 1755 when the Acadian people were expelled by the British. We, Acadia is a peninsula separated from the mainland of Canada by an isthmus about five leagues in width between Bay Verte and French Bay. The isthmus is separated by several rivers and streams. As for the Acadians themselves, I had little patience for them. It seems none of the European colonies did at this time. The Acadians were being pressured by the British to take an oath of allegiance to them. War between the French and the British on the Canadian frontier was imminent, and both sides wanted their support. But since the Acadians saw themselves as neither English or French, and were not about to choose one side over the other, they insisted on remaining neutral. Right. So, what can we say about Beaubassin? Beaubassin was a strategic trade and communication hub in my time there. It was inhabited by a great number of Acadian families, many of whom practiced agriculture despite the fact that the region was essentially marshland, being constantly flooded with ocean water. They built strange hills to get around this, though, called them dikes. Stubborn little scoundrels. So that's essentially where our story takes place. Monsieur Pichon, may we ask you how it is that you came to be there in the mid-18th century? So you want to hear my story? We. Oui? You have a large number of memoirs and letters preserved that help us to understand this story. We want to hear things from your perspective in order to better understand the events of 1753 to 55 and how you ultimately played a role in the defeat of the French and their claims to Canadian territory as well as the expulsion of the Acadians. I see. Let us start at the beginning then. I was born as Thomas Pichon in Vire, Normandy on November 30th, 1700 to Jean Pichon and Marie Anouk. In my early years, I dreamed of becoming a doctor. My ungrateful mother and father, however, wanted me to be a priest. I resented Roman Catholicism. I have nothing to do with it. When I instead attended medical school in Paris, my parents cut off my funds. I was forced to work as a clerk to support myself, and I gained a good deal of experience in the legal profession doing this. Hence, I was an asset to my father when he required my knowledge and service for a six-year-long legal battle. After I ensured he emerged victorious, how did he thank me? By refusing to compensate me financially for this time and years lost. Indeed, I had no choice but to again find employment. I resumed work as a legal secretary, but alas, in 1741, I obtained a position in the hospital service of the French armies. I became a representative of the French king to the hospitals. Right. Your memoirs are contradictory on that point. You also claim to be in the position of inspector when employed by the French army. What does it matter? I held a very high position in my employment with the French army. Actually, most historians agree it's most likely you were a clerk or possibly an accountant there. Sacre bleu! Why so hung up on such minor details, huh? Tis my story to tell. Apologies, Monsieur Pichon. Uh, please, go on. Ugh. 
Where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes, the French army. I maintained an important position there and won the appraisal of many honest men wherever I went. Until 1745, when I was appointed to organize a hospital in the Netherlands. It was here where I met Jean-Louis de Ramon. The man who recommended you to be posted in Acadia? We, oui, Count Ramon, was appointed to the governor of Ile Royale in 1751. As we were good friends, and Ramon was aware of many esteemed reputations and talents, he made with his secretary with promise I would be filling one of the most distinguished positions in the new world. But you didn't stay friends for long. Ugh, please. That man was quite possibly the most stupid of all two-legged animals. He hardly made good on any of the promises made to me regarding my position in New France and the opportunities for me to move up the ranks. I was disappointed in the payment and the credit I received for my hard work, which was hardly any. Ramon remained in Ile Royale until 1753, but when he returned home to France, I stayed behind to take up new position as a commissary of Fort Beausséjour on Ramon's recommendation. I arrived at the fort on November 3rd, 1753. And so, what were your roles as the commissary of Fort Beausséjour? I was chief clerk, responsible for stores. I also acted as a scribe. I took down and edited letters and reports of the commandments. I have a knack for letters and writing. You don't say. So you had the advantage of access to military correspondence. Was this how you connected with the British enemy and began spying for the other side? No. The contact between the British and French on the frontier was quite frequent. Relations were rather cordial despite the imminent war. I had met Captain Scott, the British commander of Fort Lawrence, once before at Louisburg. After this, he invited me to Fort Lawrence where we struck a deal. You mean the deal where you agreed to spy on the French for the British and essentially sabotage Fort Beausséjour to ensure they were defeated? Oui. And what were you offered in exchange for betraying your country? Betraying my country? Ha. It is true that I was born a Frenchman, but alas, my grandfather was an Englishman who emigrated to France. Tyrell was his name. And the one I too came to adopt while at Beausséjour and later in London. I may have been raised in France, but my lineage is English. Besides, Roman Catholicism hardly compares to the superiority of English Protestantism. The country I betray is merely the one I was born in, not the one I identify with. So, your claims about your grandfather being an Englishman and your name being Tyrell hardly hold any weight. For one thing, you signed the name Tyrell using as many as five different spellings. There's also no proof of your mother's English lineage. Historians suspect you fabricated the whole thing as an excuse for you to switch allegiance. Was that the real reason? Ugh. Have you any idea how difficult it is to get anywhere in this world without money? In my time, money was equivalent to power, and I never seemed to have enough. Captain Scott promised me fortune. He assured me he would establish me in the most agreeable comfort, and that nothing would be lacking for my satisfaction. So I yielded myself entirely to whatever he desired of me. And later his successor, Captain Hussey, I was promised support from the British after my intuition provided fruitful and led to their victory. I was to live in London comfortably for my troubles. All right, enough of that. We're here to get the story of Acadia and to understand what was going on on the eve of the Acadian expulsion. Would you tell us about the forts, Monsieur Pichon? Most of us know Louisbourg, the large French fortress in Cape Breton. But what can you tell us about the smaller forts in Beaubassin? What were things like on the frontier before you changed allegiances? Ah, the forts. Our most important ports were the forts of Beausséjour and Gasparou. The English had troops only in Fort Lawrence at Beaubassin and Chignicto. The French forces consisted of 200 regular and six or 700 Acadians capable of bearing arms. 
of whom some lived so far away it would be difficult to assemble them when they were needed. We could also rely on about five to six hundred Indians who were roaming the woods nearby. The English had a force of about 3,000 regulars in Acadia, of whom 400 were at Port Lawrence at Beaubassin. The English had, moreover, an infinite number of vessels for every variety, and could reach Beaubassin from Halifax in six to seven days' time. Okay, to be clear, the Mi'kmaq were not simply roaming about the woods. They were living in a village, and they were allies without whom the French stood little chance of succeeding. At any rate, it sounds like the odds were rather stacked in favor of the English. Ugh, a gross understatement, dear friend. Not to mention the English consumed very little by way of provisions, having neither Acadians nor Indians to be fed. Fort Beausjour was simply not built strategically. The distance from the fort to the river was too great for cannon fire to protect the detachments sent to guard the banks. The communication lines were not open the way they should have been. The execution of placing the stores in proper safety was outright abhorrent. Our English neighbors simply acted with greater wisdom. So, you think the French and Acadians never stood a chance with Fort Beausjour? The English had access to regular troops and militia from their colonies, as well as a high quantity of ships of all sizes at their disposal to transport men and supplies. We had little knowledge about what was taking place on their side, whereas they were well informed about all happenings on ours. A matter you didn't help, of course. We don't want to upset our guest. If the English decided to take us off guard, we would have discovered that they were far stronger than we were. Even if we were warned in time and our reinforcements arrived, we should not have been able to remain to protect Fort Beausjour because our weakness and the shortage of food. It would have been necessary, therefore, to abandon the fort to its own garrison in order to keep in touch with supplies and food, leaving the English with complete freedom to carry out operations and take it either by storm or by regular siege, unless they choose to burn it, which would easily be done given the wooden makeup of the fortifications. Our position was so defective that whenever the English chose to drive us out, we would have been able to resist them. So was there no way for them to avoid defeat at all? One of the only courses open to us was to settle the boundary question promptly. Boundary question? Oh yes, the, uh, the Acadian boundary dispute of 1750-55. to 55. It was basically a last-ditch effort of avoiding war by the French and the English. They pondered over maps and records to try to determine what territory in Acadia belonged to which side, but they just couldn't agree on what constituted the most ancient boundary, and neither side trusted the accuracy of the other's claims. It was never settled. The dispute had to end in violent confrontation. So, take us through how it was you that spied for the British. What kind of information did the British receive from you? I provided warnings about attacks planned against the English from the French and the Indians. Copies of official documents and correspondence, census information of the Acadian refugees, reports on French military posts, gossip from the forts and French court, and the reports of French missionaries. I also gave Captain Scott a detailed report on the best means of capturing the French forts. Interesting. And how was the operation undertaken? You must have needed to use caution so as not to be caught committing treason. In the early months on the frontier when the French settlers were allowed to visit Fort Lawrence to sell their supplies and purchase English goods, it was not difficult to carefully select intermediaries as messengers. I also gave British officers instruction in French, which formed an excuse for the exchanging of papers, and I wrote a medical matter to the English doctor, Veal. But 
When the settlers were later prohibited from visiting Fort Lawrence and guards were posted to enforce it, exchange became more difficult. I hence needed to employ a few carefully selected French settlers who were able to reach the British forts in exchange for being well paid for their trouble. None of these intermediaries were ever detected. Still, I was constantly on my guard. So, how did all of this come to a head with the Siege of Beausejour in 1755? I informed Captain Scott that the British were to take me in as prisoner at the commencement of the siege, even in Fort Beausejour itself, and sent me to Philadelphia with all the gratifying things he had to promise me. I planned to continue to make myself useful, both as a prisoner and once relocated to Philadelphia. Can you tell us more about the siege of 1755? Your memoir from the event is really extraordinarily detailed. We. Oui. You see, the British wanted control of the Isthmus of Chignecto because it was a crucial gateway between Quebec and Louisbourg during the winter. Taking control of this hence cut off the French side from their supply lines. On Monday, June 2nd, 1755, an English fleet of 36 vessels was spotted approaching the fort. Two days later, they marched on pont a and crossed the Michigoist River, capturing Redoubt. Redoubt? The immediate fortifications on the outside of the fort, the first line of defense. A few men were killed on both sides, and four were wounded. Mere hours later, the English flag appeared on the highlands. Les Lutre then decided to take the desperate military strategy that would eliminate cover of the enemy. He had the Acadians set fire to all the buildings around the fort, and the houses, barns, wood piles, even the church. This was done quickly that the unfortunate settlers had no time to save anything. That's... Tragic. Indeed. And yet, you were the one largely responsible for it. You made the settlers believe the British wouldn't attack that year, thus hindering the strengthening of the fort. You also discouraged the Acadians from allying themselves with the local Mi'kmaq, which would have strengthened their forces. Not to mention, it's been reported that you encouraged the Acadians to demand the commandment to surrender on their behalf. You even helped draft their letter calling for surrender. That's not to say I didn't feel remorse for my actions later. The torch of reason is lightened to guide us. If mislead us, shall we be blamed for its dim? Reason, then, had deceived me. It was doubtless incapable of directing my life. Since it was too weak to defend me against the terrors of death, I saw too late the fatal extent of my error. I prayed to God to take pity on my soul. Enough. We're getting off topic. Let's get back to the events of the siege. I no longer wish to discuss this subject. Great. Well, now we've lost our interview subject. Oh no, Mr. Pichon, please come back. <sighs> well, until we can manage to coax Monsieur Pichon back, maybe we can fill in the gaps about the siege ourselves. Alright, so we pick up after the village was burned. This brings us to Thursday, June 4th, when the British began attempting to rebuild the bridge over the Mississauguish River, which had been burned alongside the village. Having just lost a battle and burnt their own homes, morale was low among the less than militarily experienced Acadians. We know that desertion was a major concern. For the next week or so, the English worked to build their trenches while the Acadians made an effort to build up their defenses in the fort. Although Fort Beausejour sent for reinforcements from Louisbourg, they never arrived as the English had blocked the passage. Several skirmishes occurred between the two sides for about two weeks. Cannons and bombs were fired from both sides, but the English clearly had superior strength in experience and weaponry. With morale amongst the Acadians dissipating by the day, 
especially after finding out there would be no reinforcements, they began to push for capitulation. The Acadians feared they would be executed for treason should they lose the fort and be captured by the English. Of course, we know our friend Monsieur Pichon played a large role in not only this defeat, but also this push for surrender. On June 16, 1755, the capitulation was officially signed and Fort Beausjour was taken possession by the English. The terms under which the Acadians surrendered required them to surrender their arms, but it protected them from being tried as traitors. Still, until they submitted their oath of allegiance to the British, they were considered rebels. But what of Monsieur Pichon? Mr. Pichon! <sighs> I've made many grave mistakes in my life. Tis true. In the later years of my life, my remorse and discontent was so great that I even attempted to take my own life. Too late. I turned to God under the Protestant Church. As a Christian, I feel I should take responsibility for my actions. Let us continue the interview. Very well, Monsieur Pichon. We were just wondering if you could tell us what exactly happened to you after the Acadians surrendered Fort Beausjour. By Wednesday, July 2nd, I was preparing to be relocated by the English. I arrived via schooner at Fort Lawrence where I remained a few days before being sent to Fort Pisiquit, where I received on July the 7th. While I was there, I was visited by several desperate Acadians, but I advised them there was little I could do for them as prisoners. By August, I was imprisoned in Halifax, as was the plan by Captain Scott and Hussey from before the siege. While in prison, I continued my spying endeavors, as promised. The Frenchmen imprisoned there found my condition to be likened to their own, so I was able to gather much information regarding their views, plans, and intrigues. When I sent straight to the English, the execution of my deal with the British was effective in that no one knew my true involvement. Everyone was well deceived. My fellow French inmates entrusted me with the letters and reports, which I also forwarded to the English. I remained imprisoned in Halifax until the end of the year, but by 1756, I was relocated to London, as I was promised. So, you essentially exit the story here, and yet, what of all the lives you left behind in Acadia? The refugees that were later expelled, the people you deceived while working with them at Beausjour? We'll need to go into more detail in order to fully appreciate this story. To our listeners, please join us in episode 2, where we will explore the stories of the people of Acadia and how those in power influenced their lives. There is more to tell of my treacheries. This podcast has been brought to you by the fourth-year history students at Brock University's Humanities Program. For more information, please visit the class website, Brock History 4P11, taught by Professor Daniel Sampson, entitled State and Society in Colonial Canada, Fulbesson, on the Edge of Empires, by clicking the link in our description. Chronicles of a Spy in Acadia is hosted by Michaela Vanderbeck and Yannick Gunion. The voice of Thomas Bichon is Dexter Bullen, with opening narration done by Aaron Hall. This episode was written by Haley Drury, with additional research done by Connor Brown and Michael D'Angelo. The music in this episode is remixed by Michaela Vanderbent from Luperman.com.